pleasure to welcome all of you to the 2022 Princeton Forum on Youth Ministry here at Princeton Theological Seminary. We are, yes, woohoo. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been able to say that, so uh, we're just so grateful. We're so glad to see all of you who are gathered here in person with us, and we're also grateful for the wonders of technology. For those of you that are joining us online, you are welcome here wherever you are coming from, wherever you are. Um, you are most welcome in this place. My name is Megan DeWald, and I am the Associate Director of the Institute for Youth Ministry. Uh, yeah, go. Your checks are in the mail. Um, <laughs> I have a few people that I want to introduce you to. Some of you already met my fabulous uh, partner in ministry and just partner in crime, really. Um, the great Reverend Abigail Visco Russert, who is the Director of the Institute for Youth Ministry. Abigail is going to be preaching for us this morning, and I want to give a special shout out to someone who is here to hear her do that, and that is her mother, Laura Visco, who is here on the uh, row here. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, I also have a number of wonderful people who are helping us to put on this conference um, that I want to introduce you to. Uh, one of our most amazing student staffers, Maggie, is here. She has helped me to craft these worship services, and, uh, and we're so grateful for your gifts and leadership, Maggie. You have also already gotten to meet um, some of the ridiculously talented people here at Princeton Seminary. We get to have worship together five days a week here during our semesters, and I love to attend as many of those services as I can, first and foremost to worship the Lord, but also to listen for the talented folks so that I can poach them and ask them if they can lead worship for us at the Princeton Forum on Youth Ministry. And this year, I had my dream team in mind, and I thought, surely they're not all going to be available. But y'all, we have the dream team together helping us lead worship today. So Alfredo and Darren and Allie and the ever-marvelous and talented Martin Tell, thank you so much uh, for your leadership. A few other housekeeping items before we really get into it. Um, for those of you that are in person, you will have noticed that at registration and in our correspondence, We've been talking a lot about um, what it looks like to care for one another during this strange, nebulous time that we are in. All of us have endured a pandemic, but it has not affected all of us in quite the same way, nor does it look the same or do we face the same challenges going forward into the future. So as an act of love and care for those who perhaps remain vulnerable or vigilant for any reason, we're just strongly encouraging everyone to wear your masks when you're indoors, um, and that you would uh, be sure that while you're actively e eating and drinking, you don't have to keep the mask on. Have any of you done that during the pandemic? Tried to like take a drink of something? Yeah, me too. Um, and, uh, and friends, you've also seen at registration these buttons, if you haven't gotten them yet. Uh, we have different colors. We're, we're adopting this best practice to try to help people know and to gauge just how comfortable we are with communication, 
um, and also with COVID protocols. I myself am at a level yellow um, because it's pretty. And also, uh, you know, I, I'm interpreting this to mean, um, you know, I, I love hugs and physical touch. Uh, I just need some consent <laughs> beforehand. And, um, and if I come for you, you feel free to just say, you know, check out my yellow or red button. Um, and you greens, we're glad that you're here as well. <laughs> now, perhaps you are someone who, um, sometimes at a conference that can feel really frenetic and have a lot of hustle and bustle, perhaps you need some quiet space. And so we want to invite you to engage in some of those spaces that a team of ours here has set up for you. One of these is just here to my right in the, um, the prayer garden right next to this building. It's a, a nice sensory space with some peace and quiet. And a little further to the right, up a flight of stairs is, or an elevator, is um, the Gambrell Room, and that has also been set up as an indoor space. There will be some um, quiet reflection opportunities, uh, some tools for prayer, and I'll share a little bit more about that during our spotlight this afternoon. Last but not least, before we continue um, to worship our Lord together, I want to introduce you to Carmel Beaujolaine, who is right here. <laughs> Some of you may recognize Carmel as a former staffer of the IYM. We try every chance that we get to hang out with her, and so she has agreed to serve as our artist in residence for this week, and she is gonna be leading us on this artistic journey to consider the theme of our conference, which is construct, or perhaps construct. I know. <laughs> in your final details email, you received a link to an opportunity to participate in some of this artistry that is going to be happening this week, and I hope that you will also follow along. Um, I've been told that sometimes people don't read their full bulletins. This may be news to you, but we have included some notes in there um, that talk a little bit about these three installations. Uh, today, we have an altar um, of sorts that we are going to deconstruct together. And uh, the theme for this worship service, as Abigail mentioned earlier, is um, deconstruct. So we're going to be asking ourselves, after we have endured the past few years together, what do we need to hold on to? And what do we need to let go of? What do we need to carry with us into this brave new future? And what do we need to let stay in the past? With these questions in mind, my friends, would you stand as you're able and um, read with me our deconstructed call to worship, printed in your bulletins. Let us praise the Lord together. 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 With our collective declaration, we say, Hallelujah, 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 Amen. Hallelujah and Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. 
Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. But while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's, it's good for us to make three dwellings. It is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. But while he was saying this, a cloud came and it, it overshadowed them. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a, a voice that said, this is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent. And in those days, they told no one of any of the things they had seen. The word of the Lord?
Friends, I'm taking liberties to read from all over the place in the end of Deuteronomy. I'm pulling from chapters 31 through 34. Listen for the word of God. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses went up from the plains, and the Lord showed him all the land. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Friends, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of us in this room today are serving in congregational or organizational youth ministry of some kind. And some of us are in the process of preparing to go into ministry of one kind or another. I wonder if one of the things we share is a question. It's not the only question, but it's a big one. What will happen to us now? My response, spoiler alert, is we build. I wonder what kind of builder you are. Are you a Moses? In October of 2017, David Brooks penned an article in the New York Times that has haunted me. The title of the article is, We Used to Build Things. He tells the story of the largest fire in US history, the Big Burn of 1910. He tells about the subsequent building of the Forest Service. And the point he makes is that the building of civic institutions right now is in short supply. We pay some attention to social entrepreneurship, but when it comes to civic imagination, the landscape is mostly barren. What's haunted me, though, is what he wrote about the church. The churches have let us down, too, he says. The Christian churches have been behind most of the big social movements in American history, like abolition, 
poverty programs, and civil rights. But for the past generation, for the past generation, the church has been fighting a defensive war, not an offensive assault for opportunity and human dignity. Brooks wrote that five years ago. Five years ago, and those of us who live in 2022 can fill in some additional blanks about where the church is not. Okay, and here's, here's a confession of my fear. I fear that some of us who love the church have made an assumption. When we look out and we see where the church is not, I'm afraid that we are assuming that those are also the places where God is not. Like the Israelites facing the death of their most important leader, the one who was steadfast through their deliverance from slavery, through wilderness, we too are facing a death of sorts. At least here in the West of how we are organized, what will happen to us now, we ask. I don't know if you've noticed, but all of the seminary presidents are retiring. <laughs> Emily Towns at Vanderbilt talks about preparing change leaders as she leaves. Brian Blunt shifted the emphasis at Union in Virginia to the church in the world. Our own President Barnes has poured many hours into a project on reshaping the way that Princeton Seminary will form pastors and Christian leaders in the next generation. If my friend and social entrepreneur Shannon Hopkins from the organization Rooted Good is right, then 100,000 churches in the USA will close by 2025. That's three years. I would wager a guess that every single youth minister in this room has felt the proverbial gaze of this reality shift to them, even prior to the pandemic, we are known as the keepers of the next generation. The gaze has settled on our shoulders. It's as if each individual church is asking you and is asking us, what will happen to us now? Perhaps you know a Moses. My Moses was stunning to behold at the end. His eyes were undimmed just as the Deuteronomy verse says. But my Moses, this incredibly tall and formidable man, had become weak enough for me to carry. That's not really what stunned me, but it's what he said. I want to live. He was looking at me from across the hospital bed where he would die the following week. His eyes held me fast undimmed. I could scarcely compute what he was saying, and frankly, I had not considered at all that he would feel this way. Now, perhaps it doesn't sound strange to you that a dying person would want so badly to live, but this was the man who had taught me about death, about dying well. David G. Tremper was the chair of the theology department at Valparaiso University, and I was a senior, a theology major. I was quietly a theology major because I was also the vice president of my sorority. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> Dr. Tremper had written his dissertation on Christ's descent to hell upon crucifixion. 
I can hear him quoting Luther in the classroom and in every one-off conversation he had. He would say this, it means this, said Luther, that there is no place I might ever go, no depth to which I might sink, but that even there he is Lord for me. Dr. Tremper was a Moses. He was my Moses. Now in 1973, he had been a Joshua, crossing over into a new land. At the beginning of his career, he was fired from a visiting lectureship, as if that's even possible, at the flagship seminary of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, LCMS. That might not mean anything to some of you, a small, um, a, a small denomination. He walked out alongside students and faculty. He was one of the first to be awarded from a doctorate from Seminex, Concordia Seminary in exile. It was a short-lived institution. At Seminex, you seminary students will appreciate this, students were free to use the historical critical method to analyze scripture. They even began to expand their imagination about who could be ordained. Many years later, in 2003, he would look at me with eyes undimmed and he would change my life when he said, have you applied to seminary yet? But he's my Moses because he died as I emerged from a wilderness of faith. And it was through his teaching on the death of Jesus that I found that faith. What will happen to me now, I thought, as the casket passed me by. You see, before Dr. Tremper, I only had eyes to see a God who drew me and us into the light. The light always made sense to me. But a theology that only has room for glory does not hold up in wilderness. Perhaps you've known this in your life or even in your ministry leadership. One young adult pastor recently said to me, I wouldn't describe this as a time of thriving (laughs) for me and my colleagues. Perhaps despite your faithfulness, there are places of your ministry that are not thriving, places that feel more like rubble than revival. Before Dr. Tremper's teaching, I'd never imagined that the crucifixion, the very deconstruction of Christ, might hold more good news for me than any other part of the story. That the many and various types of hell that we experience, the deep injustices known by communities, individuals, by generations, that our God does more than stoop down to peer into our pain. Our God descends into our very hell. But too often we are convinced about the opposite of our hell. It's like how we treat the closing of congregations or the failure of our programming. We assume always that Luther and the Apostles' Creed are wrong. We're convinced that God is only in the growth and not in the deconstructed dust. We are convinced that any hell, and especially our hell, is evidence that God is absent. But the truth is that our God has gone down into the grave with us, and that even in the depths of hell, there is no room for despair. God's word for us today is that we were loved before the budget cuts or the failed programs. We were loved long before barren civic landscapes were written about in newspapers. And the good news is that the builders are always close at hand.
In the shared moment of hell on that hospital bed, neither Dr. Tremper nor I had eyes to see the story that God might write through the generation he had taught at Valparaiso University. He had taught me how to embrace the death of Christ. I thought he would embrace his own death. And if our will to live is that strong, then what about the love of Christ for each new generation? Is it not stronger? There's an obscure midrash on the death of Moses, and I resonate with the Moses in this midrash. Midrash is Jewish exegesis and interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures. Sometimes it gives us a glimpse as to what is going on behind the scenes of a text. In this one, Moses is not silent. He argues with God about his death. He begs to see the promised land, and God refuses. At one point, God says to Moses, each generation is to have its own interpreters of scripture. Each generation is to have its own providers. Each generation is to have its own leaders. Until now, it had been your portion to serve me, but now your disciple Joshua's portion has come. My friend and innovator Rabbi Ilan Babchuk says that, in other words, the old has served as the teacher of the new. And in order for the community to continue, the new must now serve as the teacher too. What will happen to us now? It is a time to build. It's significant that Jesus meets with Moses during the transfiguration, his moment of being changed. There's a mountain, a cloud. The greatest prophet is once again part of the story that God is writing. And if you're like Peter, and you can see that the change is here and big and important, and you know that you need to do something about it, but your ideas are all wrong and you fail to really grasp the big picture, God can still minister through the failure of your good intentions. Perhaps you are yet a rock through which God might build the church. Some of us will build like Peter. Some of us will build like Moses. We will lead through the wilderness and close out a chapter of a story. Some of us will build like Joshua, crossing boundaries and identifying new sacred spaces. Some of us will build like Tabitha, bridging the faith community to needs in a community. Some of us will build like Lydia, insisting on a ministry of hospitality. And I know many of you are already building in this way, aiming to share hospitality to one of the loneliest generations in history. And when we fail to build that perfect program, fail to see the big picture, fail to keep the doors open, we must remember that God's love never fails. The great architect is here with us in the rubble, and a new generation of builders is at hand. Kenda Dean, innovator, scholar, founder of the IYM in 1995, calls youth ministry the R&D wing of the church. She's right. You're right. <laughs> it's the place where you can rearrange the furniture and not get in trouble, she says. What will happen to us now, friends? Now we build. With eyes undimmed, using things of old and alongside the young. It's time to build. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
all we have heard and seen in this service, we're now going to enter into a time of prayer. And I invite you to pray with your eyes open. Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, break us to heal us. Forgive us from turning to lesser things and making idols out of our own wants, dreams, desires, fears, insecurities, our ministries, the way life and church was before the pandemic, and building altars where you do not dwell. God, break us. Cast down the idols in our hearts and replace them with more of you. We want to know you more fully, love you more deeply, serve you more faithfully, and trust you more readily. Holy Spirit, in this moment and throughout the forum, we ask that you, would, that you show us the things we have been holding on to, that you're inviting us to surrender. And we pray for the faith and trust to surrender those things to you so you can give us more of yourself and do a new thing among us, with us, and through us. Lord, break us to heal us. Sing, break me, break. us. We want to be more like you. Make us holy vessels for your use. Make us holy unto you. Clean our hands. Purify our hearts. We offer our lives up to you, Lord, as living sacrifices. God, remind us of our assignments. Remind us who you are. Remind us who we are. Melt us Lord, we pray. Sing, melt me, melt me, melt me. Sing, melt me. Spirit of the living God, mold us more fully into your image. Too often we have relied on our own strength and believed the lie of self-sufficiency. But in this moment we remember that apart from you, we can do nothing. In you we live and move and have our being and it is through knowing you that we come to truly know ourselves. So Lord, we pray that you would keep us close to you and teach us to remain in the vine abiding in your love. Jesus, mold us into a people who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. May we no longer resist the prodding of your spirit, but instead give you our unreserved yes to whatever it is you are calling us to do, say, go, or become. God, mold us. 
We want to be more like you. God, fill us with your spirit. May we be rooted and established in your love so that we may know, live, and walk in your power and be your witnesses in the world. God, fill us with your dreams, visions, and desires for our lives and ministries. Like Jesus, we pray that your will and not our own be done among us. And we pray that when you fill us with these new dreams and visions, that you would also give us the strength to boldly walk in these new ways, even when these new ways lead us through the wilderness. Remember that it is you, God, who goes before us and will be with us, leading and guiding us on the journey ahead. Amen. Sing, fill me. Um, each one of you picked up one of these prayer rocks on your way in, and you might be wondering why we asked you to do that. Well, we've been kind of focusing on um, what it might look like to deconstruct a bit uh, in our lives, in our ministries, and even in our worship service. You may have noticed some things like we read the New Testament before we read the Old Testament. <laughs> And there have been things, moments throughout this service where we want you to pause and to wonder, why do we do things the way that we do? Well, with these rocks, what we want to invite you to do is to take this rock with you today, keep it on you throughout the day, put it in a pocket, place it somewhere that you can um, touch it occasionally, be aware of it. And we want you to consider what kind of builder you are being called to be. What are the unique experiences and gifts and perspectives that have formed you into the Christian leader that you are and that you are becoming? As you go from here today, your assignment, something else we're kind of deconstructing worship with by providing you some homework, is to go and to think about this question and then to come back tomorrow ready to build. You'll have noticed that we have deconstructed this altar and we may have something for you tomorrow to do. Friends, even in the ruins and rubble, even those materials that seem like they have been destroyed, they are also comprised of the deconstructed building materials, stones and rock that can be pieced back together to build something new. And so now we invite you 
to receive a final blessing and benediction in song. So oh. 